My name is Lindsay Blackburn. I serve in King's Cross Kids on Sunday mornings. You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We are working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, visit kingscross.org. We are, um, if you're brand new, uh, my name's Chip. I'm one of the pastors here. We're in a year-long sermon. No, it's, we got Kids Week starting this week, and so um, we're excited about that. Thank you to everybody that has come up over the last week or so, but especially over the weekend to help us uh, get ready to make sure that the environments that the kids are in this week are ones that are fun and ones that draw them in uh, to what we're, we're doing. So we're excited about that and hope that you are uh, as well. Um, my wife, Kristen, and I have three daughters. Uh, they are 22, 19, 18. Uh, and if you know our family at all, or if you get to know our family at all, one of the things that will become obvious fairly quickly is how much we love music. Um, music of all kinds, from uh, hip-hop to show tunes to marching band and everything kind of in between. We share Spotify playlists. We've been to concerts and shows together. We put new album release dates on family calendars. Uh, like music is just kind of a part of, of who we are. And I was thinking this week um, because a new album dropped. Um, and so that was popping up on my calendar all week. The new Taylor album dropped. Well, it's not new. It's like the new old. It's complicated. You got no Tay Tay, but um, so I was thinking about albums, and um, th- there's a difference between an album and a soundtrack. Fair, like an album, even if it's a concept album, like Sgt. Pepper's or The Wall or something like that. Um, it, an album is kind of a standalone collection of songs, but a soundtrack, whether it's to a mu- movie or a musical, a, a soundtrack is part of a larger whole. Soundtracks provide the emotional texture and tone of what it is that's happening on the screen or on the stage. And so, for example, if you're watching a movie and you get an otherwise ordinary shot of a swimmer um, that kind of looks like this. There we go. You get that ordinary shot of a swimmer, right? takes on an entirely different feeling if the soundtrack comes along and goes, da-na, da-na, <laughs> fair, da-na, da-na. Or if you are, uh, you know, so soundtracks can help interpret the plot. Soundtracks can help us anticipate the movement of what it is that's coming next. And so if you hear my shot from Act 1 of Lin-Manuel Miranda's just kind of magisterial musical Hamilton, um, it, it gives insight into, and it, into his ambition and into Hamilton's character, but it also foreshadows the circumstances of his death when you get down later into Act 3. This is what soundtracks do. They, they make things more personal. They're bridges from the stories that are happening on the screen or on the stage into our 
hearts and our minds and our experiences. And so sometimes you will hear the Psalms referred to as the songbook of Israel. And I think that that's true, but I really think it's more like the soundtrack. It's more like the soundtrack of the story of God's people. So last week, Pastor Andy showed us the hope that is found in the book of Job. It was the first sermon in this movement in our year-long study of the Bible that was chapter 6 that we've called Wisdom. And there's a shift that takes place in the Old Testament beginning with Job. To this point in the story, the books of the Bible have largely been, not entirely, but more or less been, kind of a linear progression through time of the story of God's redemptive arc of, of creating Israel and bringing her out of slavery and establishing her in the land. But the wisdom literature, which we're in now, and the prophets that follow it aren't linear. They're more like a good soundtrack. They take the outline of the facts, which we have already studied, and they fill it in with color and texture and emotion and interpretation of the plot. They give us background information and sometimes they even foreshadow the circumstances of things that are yet to come they are bridges from the stories that we've been considering together in the old testament into our hearts and our minds and our experiences and nowhere is that more true than in the psalms the book of psalms contains about 150 songs roughly half of which were written by King David, but none of which we still have the music for. Now, people have gone back and kind of set some of the lyrics of the Psalms to modern music and interpretation, some of which are really, really good. But we don't actually know what the melodies were that Israel sang these songs in their original language of Hebrew. But they're organized into five collections that are called books. But otherwise, the Psalms aren't really grouped in any way that you would kind of typically anticipate. So they aren't chronological, even though they cover events that unfolded in Israel's history over the course of about a thousand years. They aren't topical, though there are clearly songs of lament, songs of praise, psalms of thanksgiving. There are royal psalms and historical psalms and messianic psalms that are going to look forward to the coming of God's promised Savior. They aren't even organized by author, although there are seven individuals who are named as authors or composers, if you will. There are two groups of people who are listed as the authors or composers of psalms and then there's about 50 of them that are just anonymous and we don't know exactly who penned them what is clear if you look at an overview of the book of psalms is that the first two serve as the fountainhead from which all the rest flow psalm 1 speaks of god's word psalm 2 speaks of god's anointed king who is to come and rule over all people and kings and nations of the earth. And when you get to the end of the book, the last five psalms serve as this kind of 
crescendo of praise. They're a a self-contained, almost doxology of sorts, if you will. And so they teach us, or, or they remind us to remember the great deeds of God, to give praise and thanksgiving to God, to trust God, no matter what our circumstances, to obey, submit to, and humble ourselves before God. But the Psalms also deal with, and sometimes in like shockingly brutal honesty, very real issues in the human experience. They deal with personal suffering and pain, loss and grief and regret and guilt. They paint pictures of an ideal king, of an ideal follower of God, and of an ideal Messiah to come. And they give voice to very real human doubts and struggles, spiritual spiritual turmoil, easy for me to say, and even sometimes outright spiritual depression. And so there are dozens of ways that we could try to uh, approach an overview of the book of Psalms in the context of our year-long sermon series, The Story. What I've decided to do is to focus on one theme that is sometimes easy to miss in the Old Testament unless your radar is kind of up for it. It's the theme of missions. At multiple points along the way, and we're about halfway through the story, at multiple points along the way, we have seen God's heart for and provision for the nations. Israel, it is clear, is his chosen covenant people, but the purpose behind Israel being set aside as the chosen covenant people of God was so that God's redemptive plan for the nations might flow through them to the rest of the world. We see that in the very beginning as we see God call a man named Abram. He renames him Abraham. In Genesis 12, 2, he says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And if you fast forward all the way to the end of the story, we see it again. The apostle John is given a vision of the last days. And it says in Revelation 7, 9, John says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And we see that everywhere in between. From the very beginning to the very end of the scripture. But to this point in our sermon series, we haven't really slowed down and kind of focused on it yet. And so I want us to do that this morning because the mission of God to redeem and reconcile and restore all things to himself through Christ serves as the true north of the story. It focuses us and rightly orients us and sets our story into the context of his story. So if you have a Bible, why don't you take it out or turn it on and go to Psalm 96. You can follow along as I read Psalm 96. Someone says this. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. 
Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, he comes to judge the earth. And he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. I want to show you three principles about missions directly from this psalm and then give you some practical ways that you can get involved in God's mission. First principle is this. Declare God's glory to the nations. Declare God's glory to the nations. Verse 3 again. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. Nations there does not mean geopolitical states. So don't, don't think of a map with the lines of countries drawn on it. What it means is people groups in the way that we would refer to it now. It means sociologically distinct groups of people who would perceive themselves as having some level of affinity with one another. So they would say, we are a people. So according to the Joshua Project, there are 10,340 such people groups in the world today if you ignore geopolitical boundaries. So if you have one people group that straddles a border, if you just count that as one, if you break it up by borders, it's like 14,000 plus, but 10,340. And the psalmist is saying, all people everywhere need to hear of the marvelous works of God. Why? Because in verse 5, all the other so-called gods are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Because he is great and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared in verse 4. Because he is splendid and majestic and beautiful in verse 6. And because in verse 2 he saves. Can I suggest to you that if God's glory is not worth being declared to all people everywhere, then it's not worth being declared here. If Singing new songs about God and worshiping Him in the splendor of His strength and beauty is only applicable to certain cultures, then I would suggest it's not applicable to any culture. So if the things that we sing and pray and teach about God in this place 
are true, then we should declare them to the nations. Because if they are true for us, then they are true for everyone, everywhere, among all the peoples. Second principle. Call the nations to declare God's glory. So the psalmist says the people of God should declare it. And the people of God should call the nations to declare it. Verse 7, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. That is a call for these who have heard about the Lord to join in the declaration of his glory and his strength and his beauty and his power and his majesty. This is much more than a call for those who are already numbered among God's people to worship him. It is a call for all the members of all the families of all the peoples in all the nations on earth to join them in worshiping Yahweh. If God is worthy to be worshipped by anyone, then he is worthy to be worshipped by everyone. And if he is worthy to be worshipped by everyone and he is not, that is a tragedy. That is unacceptable. This is why so often in the Old Testament, God calls people who worship other false gods adulterers. He he likens it to spiritual adultery because it is giving love and affection to someone other than the one to whom it is due. It's like you're cheating on me if you worship anyone or anything else. And so the goal of missions is not to give God's people something to do, like to make the people of God feel good because they've done something good. And frankly, the goal of missions is not even the salvation of lost sinners through repentance and faith in Christ, though that's good. But that is not the primary goal. The primary goal of missions is to increase the glory being ascribed to God through the worship of the redeemed. Because if he is worthy of being glorified, then he's worthy of being glorified by all the people of all the families of all the nations on earth. John Piper, who's a pastor up in Minneapolis, once wrote that missions exist because worship does not. So there is a day coming when the Lord Jesus returns and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But between this day and that, we are to call the nations to declare God's glory. Third principle, love the nations enough to warn them. Love the nations enough to warn them. Verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Again, in verse 13, a verse that looks forward and anticipates the second coming of Christ at the final judgment of the living and the dead says he comes to judge the earth he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness 
Now, I will acknowledge that that is not real popular in our day. That hasn't been popular in any day. It's not just our day. Like, if you say, as the Bible does, that all those who do not profess faith in Christ as Savior and Lord will be judged by God eternally, you are not going to become an Instagram influencer with that message. Like, that is not going to happen. It will, however, make you faithful to the message of the Scriptures. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It will make you faithful to the clear, repeated teaching of both Jesus and the Apostles. I'll give you two examples. John three sixteen to 18. Everybody knows 16. We love 16. Hold 16 up on signs at football games. Almost like, you know, so many people who have any background in church have 16 memorized. We lose sometimes 17 and 18. So John 3, 16 to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Or more succinctly in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. God so loved the world, the nations, all people from all people groups across all time and geography, that he sent his only son to die that they might be redeemed. If you and I believe that, then we should, we must love the nations enough to warn them of it. For their eternal good. But more than that, because it is right and good that the nations would join God's people in verse 1, singing a new song to the Lord, of, of singing to the Lord all the earth. They should join the creation itself in verses 11 and 12. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then the trees of the forest sing for joy. This is a picture of the day when all creation is set free from its bondage to decay. And it rejoices in the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We read about that in Romans chapter 8. All creation rejoices in these things. This is not, is it not, I should say, basically the entire storyline of the Bible. Essentially, what the biblical story does is it declares God's glory to us. It calls us to repent of our sin, to place our faith in Christ, and then to live our lives, to join our voices with those who also declare God's glory. And it warns us of the consequences of not doing that. This is essentially Genesis to Revelation right there in Psalm 96. This is what the testimony of the scripture is doing. 
It explains the mission of God to rescue sinful, rebellious people like you and me from the eternal consequences of their sin through the substitutionary death and resurrection of Christ. Make all things new again so that the glory of God might be experienced in all of its fullness for all eternity. This is what God is doing in the history of the world. So the question is, are you a part of that mission? Or are you willing to be? At King's Cross, and there's a lot of things on the walls this morning, but the permanent thing that's on the wall this morning, you'll see what we hope is true of everyone who calls King's Cross home. We want to see you growing in the gospel. We want to see you connected in community. And we want to see you living on mission. So this is what it means to live on mission. It's to declare the glory of God. To warn people of the consequences of not having faith in him. In a way that's winsome and loving and timely and, you know. But this is what is supposed to be true of all Christians. God has left you on the earth for a reason that you might join him in his mission to redeem and reconcile and restore all things to himself through Christ. There's some practical ways that you can do that. The first is simply to take the gospel with you into your spheres of influence, into the places where you live, learn, work, and play every day. Just don't leave the gospel at home when you leave the house. One of the things that we say a lot is our ministry multiplies when we scatter. And so Sunday morning is the most visible thing we do, but the most impactful thing we do, the, the, the broadest footprint that we have is actually when the two or 300 people who will be here this morning scatter from this place during the week and you go back into your neighborhoods and families and workplaces and schools. That There's a much greater reach there because we interact with many more people. And so do you take the gospel with you when you go into those places? Are you Christ-like in your quarterly sales meeting? Do you love your neighbor as yourself at HOA meetings, which may be the most difficult place to apply that principle in all of human experience? <laughs> Do you pray without ceasing about big family decisions that you need to make? You see, this is just living out the Christian life in the spheres of influence that God has given you. So don't hear me saying add something to your life or add something to your to-do list. All I'm saying is, um, like, just be a Christian who talks and thinks and acts and lives like Christ Monday to Saturday, too. It's just living on mission. Now, there may be times where some of you have opportunities to declare the glory of God to the nation's Literally, to, to either be in an in a international diverse context here or to get on a plane and go to another country somewhere in ways that aren't organized by the church because those opportunities come to you in your spheres of influence, not because we're creating them for you. 
Right? That, that, those opportunities are going to present themselves to some of you. Let me give you a couple of quick examples of what I mean. Some of you know Jennifer Bender, and you're going to hear a little more from Jennifer here in just a few minutes. But she's worked as a medical transporter with Samaritan's Purse Children's Heart Project since 2004. So last month, Jennifer, just as part of her job, went to Uganda and is responsible for bringing a three-year-old child named Morgan, that's Morgan there, and his mother, Miriam, and an interpreter, whose name was Loy, back to the U.S. so that Morgan could have uh, an operation in Houston that there aren't heart specialists in Uganda that they can deal with. And so he needed to be here to repair these holes that were in his heart in ways that couldn't be done back home. So Jennifer's job is to monitor them in the flight, make sure that everybody gets through immigration okay without any issues, and then hand them off to a host family in Houston. So what Jennifer was sharing with me is not only was Morgan's surgery successful, but God used both Jennifer's interactions with Miriam and Loy and Morgan um, during that whole process and some conversations that Miriam had with her host family on the ground there in Houston to draw Miriam to himself. And the day after, yeah, absolutely. The day after they got here, she professed faith in Christ. Now, Jennifer didn't even know that had happened. She was like already back home and somebody called and said, we got to tell you what happened. And you were a part of this. That's not a mission trip. For Jennifer, just her job. And it wasn't organized by the church. She's just living on mission in the sphere of influence that God has given her. And God used her to impact a life for all of eternity. I'll give you another example. Jason and Laura Brown's son, Asher, goes um, locally. The Charleston Bilingual Academy is where Asher goes to school. Last month, they went on a trip to Honduras with a team of people from the school. And they were partnering with another bilingual school down there in Honduras. And so the team, while they were there on the ground, not only did they deliver supplies to this school and work with them and encourage them, but they also had an opportunity to serve in two VBSs, or what we call Kids Week, because we're trying to be a little more missional to people who don't have a church context. They also served in two medical clinics, led a marriage seminar, and worked alongside a local church on the ground there in that town in Honduras um, to pray with them and encourage them in the work that God is doing there on the ground. So again, that's not anything we did at King's Cross. Yeah. Oh, that's back. This is the replacement backup mic because the main mic broke. So that's okay. Um, that, that's not anything we did, right? That's just the Browns saying yes to an opportunity that God presented them with through their son's school. It's just a different sphere of influence. And so sometimes living, is this going in now? Okay, I'm going to switch to the handheld. I'm going to use the handheld here in a minute anyway. David, shall I leave both of them on? No? That's what happens when you use backup equipment. It's backup for a reason, right? It's like when the starter gets hurt, and then you put in the backup, and people are like, oh, he stinks. Well, no kidding, or he'd be the starter, right? So this is the backup mic pack. No wonder it's going in and out. If it wasn't, it'd be the starter. So, you know, 
We trust God. Um, so <laughs> that's not, let me just repeat this again. That's not something we did. That's just the Browns saying yes to an opportunity God presented them with through their child's school. Right? And so sometimes you living on mission in your sphere of influence may look like you being willing to say yes to having a spiritual conversation with a neighbor or being willing to pray with you know, a family member who's going through a particularly difficult time. It may look like you being a light and salt for the gospel in the workplace. Or it might look like you saying yes to opportunities that God puts in front of you. You say, well, I'm going to have to use my vacation time if I'm going to do that. And I don't know, it's kind of uncomfortable and I, it doesn't seem like there's a ritz down there. And I, I, well, God may give you opportunities and, and all you have to do to be able to live on mission in that is simply to say yes. Make this a little more easy for myself. If you are a Christian, you will have opportunities to live on mission in your sphere of influence. A couple other ways that we do that um, is we talk about living on mission through local outreach and church planting. And so you hear us talk about local outreach opportunities a lot. Um, for example, you know, the fourth at four, uh, every fourth Thursday at four o'clock, people meet up here to prepare meals and, and gather supplies to go downtown and feed some of the homeless population in Charleston. That's one of the things that we do that's just local outreach. You hear us talk sometimes about Truth in Nature, which is a partnership we have. Matt Yawn runs that ministry here locally. We've asked for you, you know, if you're somebody who likes to hunt or to get in the outdoors, maybe to jump on a boat or in a kayak or something like that. But, you know, Matt needs mentors to come alongside fatherless boys and integrate outdoor activities with gospel um, truth in nature. Well, a couple of weeks ago, they had one of their camps, and two boys gave their life to Christ, Xander and Michael. It's just right here locally. You say, well, I, I don't really love, you know, I kind of like getting out. Man, look, if you're somebody who likes to do those type of things, there's a way for you to live on mission locally, and you can, like, use your crossbow to the glory of God, literally. <laughs> you hear us talk about Philip Simmons schools all the time. We have great partnerships with the schools that are in our geography, and you're going to be hearing more about that as back to school comes up because, you know, we're always looking for you know, mentors to help kids read, all these opportunities that we have at the schools. We feed the entire football team out in our lobby all fall. And so right now, Josh is in the process of finding sponsors for that. We've already had two um, small businesses in our church and two outside of our church who've said, hey, we'll sponsor a meal to feed those boys. And oh, by the way, there's a devotional in the lobby and a prayer over them as they go off on Friday nights. It's an opportunity to live on mission locally. We have a newly formed missions council that's in the process of identifying three or four other opportunities every year that we can build relatively easy on-ramps for you to show up to kind of events that are local outreach opportunities. Because we know that it's easier for us to organize those things than it is for you to try to think them all up and email everybody and come up with the partnerships. And so this is one of the things that we do that we want you to be a part of is living on mission here locally. But if you pull the lens back, oh, here's a great way to do that. This week, Kids Week, right? 
Well, how can I reach out to people? They're probably either in your family or in your neighborhood. Your kids or grandkids, bring them and have them invite their friends to come up here Monday through Thursday nights or just come up and volunteer. Or if you don't have time to do that and you say, well, I don't really know any children. I'm a hermit and, you know, I don't really see or have any relationships with people who have children. Okay, praise God. Then hole up at home and pray Literally, like right now, there's someone in this building praying for this service. Pray at home every night this week for Kids Week. It's an opportunity for you to impact the community. It's just leveraging the time, talent, and resources that you have for the sake of God's mission to redeem, reconcile, and restore all things to himself through Christ. And that's not a backdoor ask for volunteers, though if you want a free t-shirt, Megan will put you to work, okay? And, you know, or a backdoor ask for registrations, though if you haven't, it's tomorrow. What are you waiting for? Um, Looks pretty fun to me. But it's just a legitimate way to say, hey, here's an easy on-ramp for you to get involved. If you pull the lens back a little bit um, and you you go from global to local, from local to global, hopefully um, you know that Josh and Megan took a team of eight high school girls down to the Dominican Republic a couple of weeks back to work on the ground there with a local church planner who's part of the church planning network that we are a part of. Um, What you may not know is that over the last six or eight months or so, Bobby and Jennifer Bender have assembled a team of lay volunteers in the church to form a missions council whose charge is to help move us forward both locally and globally in these things. And so um, we had a team go down to the DR here in a couple of weeks. Bobby and Jennifer are going over to India um, to prayerfully uh, consider an on-the-ground partnership there long-term with some friends of ours and friends of theirs. So we made a video to tell you more about that um, that'll help you get a vision for what it is that we're talking about, declaring God's glory to the nations. more from Bobby and Jennifer as they come up about uh, their upcoming trip. Either own it or don't. You got to clap or not. It's not golf clap. So um, tell us a little bit more about your upcoming trip. I'm going to give the mic over to her. Hey, guys. Um, so we're super excited about this trip, um, and we... This kind of comes from lots of prayer. Um, Bobby and I have a, a heart for overseas, um, just missions in general. Um, we met in South Sudan, um, which, cool story, today is South Sudan's Independence Day. Um, but um, So that's where we met, um, and throughout our whole marriage, we've just kind of been looking for different ways to get back um, into the field. and. About a year ago, um, Bobby and I were just kind of looking at what our, you know, how is it, how are we going to make that happen? Um, and so we're praying and then just lots of series of uh, kind of what Chip said of just saying yes um, and just being open to what God had for us. Um, God opened the door for us to be able to go on this trip. Um, and we're excited about it for you guys as well um, because... Uh, We're going to join in the work that Sam and Liz are doing over there, Um, and it's a lot of just kind of going out and meeting people. Um, 
I think growing up in the South, we see a lot of, um, or just we're surrounded by churches, and in India, that's not true. Um, it's a lot of Hindu temples, there's Buddhist, um, and just not, not any Christians. And so we'll be going um, into northern India, where they're, um, it's a completely unreached group. Um, and so we'll just be getting to share about who Jesus is and having conversations um, with the people there. Um, so yeah, excited about that. Um, kind of ways that uh, you guys can pray for us um, while we're there is just safety while we travel. Um, we leave July 24th, um, and it'll take a little over 24 hours to get there. Um, we leave on a Monday midday and then get there in the early wor- morning hours of Wednesday. Um, so safety for that. Um, but more importantly, I think just that um, God would go before us and prepare the hearts of the people there to hear the gospel. Um, and that Bobby and I would be able to clearly communicate that with the people there because we're going to be working through an interpreter. Um, So that, and then also since this is a vision trip for our church, um, kind of the purpose of Bobby and I going is to kind of see if uh, sending a team there would be a good fit for King's Cross. Um, We have so many talented people here um, that I know would just love opportunities to be able to... um, to go over there and to see um, what God's doing, but also to join in the work that we're doing, um, that he's already doing over there. So um, just that we would um, see some tangible next steps on how um, King's Cross can be involved um, over there. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, genuinely, we would plead with you to pray for the benders during that time, but also for our church um, so that we get some clear direction coming out of that trip on whether or not it's a good fit for us, um, and so that some of you might be joining us on trips there uh, in the future. That falls under the umbrella of some of the work that the newly formed Missions Council has started doing. So tell us a little bit more about that and what we can expect kind of in the months ahead. Sure. So uh, with the Mission Council, first let me go back to kind of what Jennifer was saying um, with this trip to India, and I just want to clearly state to everybody um, that there's nothing that makes either of us special. Um, All we really did was we prayerfully considered and we put our yes on the table. And so just to have the opportunity to speak in front of you guys is just a privilege um, to be part of starting a mission council here at King's Cross. Um, As Chip highlighted, that is a clear calling for everybody to get engaged. And so I think the heart of what I'd like to communicate for the mission council is that we would like to help facilitate on-ramps for everybody else to have their yes on the table as well. God is a missional God, and he wants us to be engaged in that mission. Um, so that's, that's kind of the main thing uh, that we are trying to help facilitate and develop at the Mission Council, um, is developing these on-ramps and then also developing curriculum to be able to equip people to be successful in that, to make sure that they uh, feel prepared for up-and-coming trips. So I would say over the next 6 to 12 months, what we can expect are some more opportunities that will be presented to you. Uh, we'd love for you all to be engaged in, in whatever capacity you can be. Um, and so the other part of that, too, is if you feel God tugging on your heartstrings, if anything has resonated with you today on, hey, you know, maybe, maybe I'd like to know a little more about missions. What does that look like for me or for my family? Is come have a conversation with us. We're not going to try to, you know, use cars, uh, use car sales you. To, to get involved in missions, but we want to talk about how God is a missional God. We want to talk about what skills you possess and how he can utilize those. Um, or if you're having issues of doubt, like I have many times when we talk about missions, of how, how I'm disqualified to be used by God. 
Well, what do we see in Scripture? God's using people that would be picked last for the kickball team, right? So, I mean, the deal is, is putting the yes on the table. Let's have a conversation about it and see what next steps look like. And that's what we want to encourage our church to be involved in. Give the benders a hand, please, and thank God for what he's doing there. Thank you all. So what is it going to take for us to get you into a mission trip today? No, I'm just saying. That's a good illustration. <laughs> here's, here's what we're trying to do. We're going to give you, the Missions Council wants to give you easy on-ramps locally and help us establish partnerships globally. One last thing before we go, um, and we will sing together again as Psalm 96 calls us to before uh, we leave. We are um, announcing this morning the creation of a designated fund for our church, the Acts 1-8 Missions Fund, <clears throat> where 100% of the money that you give directly to that fund will go to support the work of the Missions Council and partnerships that they develop. So if you don't know what Acts 1-8 says, uh, it is literally the last words of Jesus before he ascends. And he says in it, to all those who would ever follow him, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus says to his followers, you will declare my glory to the nations. And so if you would like to give above and beyond what you normally give to support the work of the church, we've created a fund where you can do that. It's found in the Dropbox menus of all of the places where you normally give, um, and you can do that this morning if the Lord's um, encouraging you in that, or at any point in the future. That's a permanent fund that we're establishing to help support the work both locally and globally of the Missions Council. We are praying that this will increasingly become part of our DNA as a church, but also of your experience of being a part of our church. And so uh, I know in a lot of ways this morning is a little bit different, but here's what I want you to take away. Right at the heart of the story is God's heart for the nations. And so I want you to um, see that his heart extends to all people. I want you to be excited about and convicted about becoming a part of that mission that extends to all people. And I want you to know that there are practical ways at King's Cross where you can get involved doing that. And so my prayer is that you will see the biblical call and respond. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things. Thank you that we are here because of your heart for the nations. And in the context of ancient Israel, we are those nations. We are here because other people along the way joined in your mission to get the gospel to those who had not heard, and that includes us. Would you help us now, whether we are looking around our neighborhood at our children's or grandchildren's friends, whether we are looking around our city at homeless people who just need a little bit of help and to know that somebody cares, whether we are looking around our world at those who need a church planted near them or need to hear the name of Jesus for the first time, that we might be a part of your mission. In Christ's name, amen. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. 
Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.